Okay, here we go. Chapter 4. Uh, Simon read from the beginning of chapter 5. We're going to pick things up just at the end of chapter 4. Uh, a few verses, that final paragraph that you can find there. So verse 13 of chapter 4 to get us going. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Listen, says James, to those who are caught in the rush. Listen, those of you who have your heads down and you're pounding the wheel, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. What should we do? We'll go to the next city and we'll make money there. We'll go to the another city and we'll do the same again. And you're caught in the rush, the demands of a life that keeps you pulling to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, caught in the rush. I'm reminded of a hamster and its owner. And every morning, Sam hits the wheel and he pounds the wheel for hours. He's driven by some ingrained notion that pounding this wheel gets him somewhere. He occasionally stops for a bite to eat, but then back on the wheel to pound it again. Sam is 33 and his hamster is almost as bad. (laughs) And when you rush, what happens, all kinds of things happen in our lives that begin to affect us. When we rush, we make poorer decisions. When we rush, we make more mistakes. When we rush, we're less able to see what's going on around us. When we rush, or at least this is personal to me, when I rush, I find it harder to hear God speak. When I rush, things are easily missed. Kerry and I were rushing to a friend's wedding many years ago um, across London. And uh, we, we arrived, and there the church was, everyone gathering outside. We leapt out of the car, rushed into the church, looked around and thought, don't know anybody in here. Wrong wedding. Back in the car, down the street. When, when you're rushing, you fail to have the best perception that is possible. And James says, hey, listen, all of you who are caught in the rush, today, tomorrow, we'll go to this city and that city. We'll spend some time there, but we're reaching for the next thing. We're carrying on business and making money. Our vision is tunneled and our senses are dulled. What are you in danger of not seeing because of the rush. What are you not seeing today because of the rush? What are you missing because of the rush? First big word then for this morning is perspective. James 2 verse 4. Why you do not even know What will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. True perspective, says James, is to live as if time is short. To live as if time is short. Uh, And we understand that life is a rush. And you will say to me, 
when you get as old as I am, that's what you'll say to me, things will go even faster. And we recognize that as we go through the journey of life, everything seems to speed up. Whether we like it or not, we're drawn into what appears from our perspective to be uh, an environment where things go faster. We kind of, when you're one, you long to be one and a half. And it takes about ten years to move from being one and a half to two. And then it gets a little bit quicker. And, and you leisurely go through your teenage years, and then you turn 21. What's funny about that? <laughs> and then we have these phrases that we use at different ages that express something of what goes on in, in, in our lives. You become 30, as if you've reached the pinnacle of all there is, because probably you have. Uh, and, then, and then we talk about people pushing 40. <laughs> and then, bless you, you reach 50. You make it to 60. But interestingly, you hit 70. Like, boom, like suddenly out of nowhere. Suddenly, from a clear blue sky, you hit Sunday at 70, just like you would a Wednesday morning or whatever. And we have this kind of idea that life is something that happens to us, that, that it speeds up. There is an inevitability about it. There is like a, a, like a pull that we can do a little or nothing about. It's like it's all being done to us. But in the midst of that, something strange happens. Because whilst we know that life is a rush... And whilst we know that it gets faster and faster in our perception, I understand it doesn't actually get faster. But it feels like it does. And you used to think in hours and then days and weeks. Now you kind of think in decades. It'll soon be over, not the next one. Even though that's our reality, we are tempted to live as if we will always have tomorrow. We live with this kind of weird dichotomy, this juxtaposition that says, I know things are getting faster and faster and inevitably moving to a conclusion, but yeah, I live as if I will always have tomorrow. And James is saying, look, you need in this life a correct perspective to live as if time is short because you do not have tomorrow. You are a mist, sorry about that, that appears for a little while. And then vanishes. And then he'll bring this whole section to an end talking about the the Lord's coming being near. And he wants to say, look, you've got to live with this idea that that it just doesn't go on. That there is a limited time. There is a, a moment and it's now. The perspective with which we need to live. Now when you realize literally that time is short. You're on holiday. Two weeks that feels like a couple of hours when you're on holiday. You notice that? How you spend the last couple of days is different, isn't it, to how you spent the first few days when you thought you had all the time in the world. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And, and when we think we've got all the time in the world, we're faffing about and trying to find whatever. But then at the end of the holiday, when we know it's coming into land, it matters where you spend the final day matters. 
Where you spend your final meal matters. If you have a meal, that matters. All of that stuff at the end of a... Because you realize that the time is short. James is saying, look, you need to live with the perspective that time is short. And we know um, literally in our lives... When we understand that if our physical life was coming to an end, or for some reason being cut short, that we would spend that time differently. I would not live the way I lived last week if I believed it was one of my last. And neither would you, I doubt. Unless you had a brilliant week, in which case, share that with us for encouragement. Because when when we... When we know that we're in this moment of of precious time, we evaluate it differently. And one of the key things in those moments, when we know that time is coming to an end, that the things that matter to us most rise to the surface. You will have heard me say um, um, before and it still sticks in my mind as such a vivid reflection on the human heart. When, when those planes hit the Twin Towers um, a decade or so ago now, and people got on their phones knowing that inevitably the towers would fall and their lives were coming to an end, they did not get on the phone and ask whether the car had been taxed. They did not worry about whether the bath was clean. But people universally got on the phones to the people that mattered most to say the things that mattered most. I love you. And James is saying you need to live with a perspective that helps you realize that you haven't always got tomorrow. You see, we might say, what what the heck? I can go to bed angry tonight because there'll always be tomorrow. I can put off saying those words today because there's always tomorrow. I can put off that time with my kids because there's always tomorrow. I can leave that for another day because there will be tomorrow. I can start serving God tomorrow when it comes with its brighter day. I'll get back to my Bible tomorrow. I'll get in touch with those friends that have been on my heart for a long time. And you know, I'll do that tomorrow. And that, that, that thing, that action, that thing, I know God's nagging me to do the call, the visit, whatever it is. I'll do that tomorrow. Because I've always got tomorrow. Uh, and James says, no, you don't know. You can't, you can't live as if there is tomorrow. You are, you are a mist that appears beautifully, wonderfully, mysteriously, but for a a moment on this earth at least. James talks a lot about wisdom, and I love this verse from uh, the Psalms. Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Paul put it differently about making the most of every opportunity. What would you do today if you only had today? Why don't you share with the person next to you? What would you do if you only had today? Go. Okay. Can you do that thing that you would 
do today if you only had today? What stops you from doing? So James is calling us then to live with this perspective. That, that, that time is short. That, that life on earth is, is, feels from, uh, from one perspective like it goes on forever. Uh, as a child longing to be five. It goes on into eternity, so it seems. And then suddenly, suddenly, the time is, is over. What would you do if you only had today? And James goes on then to, to try and unpack how that, how that alters our perspective, that's the first word, on different things. Particularly, he goes on to talk about how it alters our perspective on possessions. Live holding them lightly. Possessions. Live holding them lightly. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Another, uh, another kind of little phrase, uh, not in a wink. Look, the time's short. It's always, time's always short. That's how you, the perspective with which you're to live. You have hoarded wealth. If you know that time is short, would you hoard your wealth? Or, or would you do something different with it? If you knew that time is short, would you amass possessions or would you hold more lightly to them? And what James is saying, look, if you know that time is short, are you really going to live the life that goes for the next thing, the next thing? I'm going to go to the next town, make money there. I'm going to move on and make money there. I'm going to keep pushing on, pushing on, so that I can amass around me whatever I think I need. The real truth, says James, is that your wealth has rotted. It's very interesting, isn't it? He's writing to rich people whose wealth physically had not in any way rotted yet. To people who were wealthy and everybody could see their wealth. Their houses and clothes and chariots were gleaming. They were anything but rotten. And James is saying, look, you've got to look and see. Just as you've got to look and see with the correct perspective about time, you've also got to look and see correct perspective about possessions. Whatever you have that you think is so shiny, so important, so whatever it might be, in God's economy, in His, on His, so in His agenda, on His scales, these things are already corroding before our very Your wealth has already rotted, and moths have already eaten your clothes. The brand new will decay, says James. And don't amass stuff as if it's going to be that stuff for any sense or length of time. Because the new thing begins to decay. The new car will rust. The shiny clothes will fade. The houses that stand so uh, fantastic will one day be derelict and need lots of repair. Gardens that look totally beautiful will one day fall into rack and ruin. Are you investing, says James, your life in things that are so temporary So here today and gone tomorrow that with the eyes of faith you can already see that it's rotting and decaying. There it goes, very interesting, pushing the point a bit further, your gold will corrode. Gold doesn't corrode, does it? 
My bars haven't. Have you? Mine are fine. Under the bed. Uh, and, and it's just a lovely play. Gold, gold that you think will, will never corrode. Gold that will always hold its value. Gold that seems so certain, so solid, that just what you need to keep you safe and secure. Your gold has corroded already. So we rush about expending our energy. How important to you is stuff? How important to you is stuff. And how does that importance change if you know that time is short? There are so many echoes in these verses of Jesus and the things that he taught about money and moths corroding and thieves breaking in and stealing and, uh, and so on. I'm sure this verse amongst many would have come to mind. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will also be. James has said a lot about hearts, hasn't he? But how we can only live right out of the right heart. And Jesus here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And isn't that true? Every Saturday morning, you did something worthwhile until you bought a new car. And then you had to keep it clean. Your house was such a welcoming place until you bought the new carpet. Please take off your shoes. No, we won't be eating in here anymore. Where your treasure is, there your heart, your sense of longing, your sense of protection. Anyone bought something new and discovered that it took a little bit more of their time than it should have? No? Just me. Okay. Anyone ever found themselves in a situation where intellectually they know that their values are screwed, but somehow because there's something nice that they've received or, or achieved or got, the, that their heart gets adjusted and drawn towards it. So we would be less welcoming lest the carpet gets dirty. We would not offer a lift lest the car gets unclean. Whatever it might be in your situation, in your circumstance. And we've lifted the level of stuff to an extraordinary level in our hearts. Wouldn't you agree? Hmm. Bit close to the bone, isn't it? You know, we do not want visitors because they might walk on our lawn. I spend hours ironing that lawn. I do. I just help everyone else in our close to feel more relaxed about their gardens. It's a ministry. Helping people discover what's important. Why is it? Why is it the stuff gets so elevated in our lives? Why is that? 
And, it, and it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, stuff perhaps is a kind of um, cultural phrase for gadgets, and, but it could be anything. And, and we're all, I think, in different ways susceptible to it. Who would agree that, well, let's ask the question. Who, who's the, the greatest influencer that this world has ever known? Sounds like a rabbit, I know, but the answer is probably... Jesus, yes. Who, who, who left the greatest legacy anyone could ever leave? So, why is it that we follow the person who made the greatest impact, who left the greatest legacy, who was dirt poor? I, I guess just to remind us that to be a great influencer... And to leave a tremendous kingdom legacy, you do not need any money. I wonder whether Jesus didn't have a home either, just to remind us that homes in the end aren't that important. That God can do his stuff anyway. I wonder if Jesus only had one robe. To remind some of you women. No, no, no. To, to remind all of us that, 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 that actually clothes are not important. Well, they're kind of important. You need one. Yeah? yeah? You're allowed one. Jesus said one robe was fine. Yeah? But you need that. It's more important than you know. But we follow this, this, this beauty of a life that, that has had an impact like we could only ever dream of. And yet we give such attention to money, to houses, to properties, to whatever it might be. If we are radically devoted to Jesus, doesn't it make our obsession with possessions rather strange? So, here we go. Is something too precious to you? James is calling for a change of perspective. Change of perspective about time. Change of perspective about our possessions. Uh, And thirdly, uh, a change of perspective concerning power. Live taking responsibility. From our perspective... There are rich, the rich oppressors are other people. Almost universally we would think like that, that the rich oppressors are other people. From a global perspective, we are the rich oppressors. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Where is your indulgence making you blind to your responsibility? Where is our indulgence making us blind to our responsibility? Where do we say we are not responsible because we are masked 
by our own sense of what we need. Very sobering words, I think, in verse 5 about the fattened calf. No, it's not the fattened calf. We wish it was. The fattened calf that gets ready for slaughter. No, you yourselves are getting fattened. Brilliant play on words for the day of slaughter. You are the ones that are heading towards slaughter, James writes. Complete irony that the ones that seem to have everything, the ones that have the shiny stuff, the ones that have amassed the possessions, the ones that have all that, are the ones that in the end will be held most responsible. And if they are found wanting, it's as if they are fattening themselves for the day of slaughter. And in that process, tragically, innocent people get killed. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Turn to uh, the person next to you and uh, just explore this for a moment. How caught up are we in the cycle of possessions and power? Either personally or as uh, a culture. How caught up are we in the cycle of possessions and power? For example, I need those new trainers. But who makes those trainers? And how much do I need them? Go. Why don't you just quietly for a a moment uh, turn, turn those conversations into prayer. We live in a very unjust world. We see that injustice all around us. We see it far and wide. Let's turn those things into prayer. You can pray as loud as you talk, you know. God won't mind. <laughs>